up uh, in our study of tongues and prophecy, these gifts that are touched on a bit extra in chapter 14. This is part two of our study regarding tongues and prophecy, what they are, their proper use in the church. And uh, if you weren't here last week, we encourage you to get on our church website and uh, download that message. If you have a smartphone, it's really easy to download a podcast and, um, and just have those delivered to your phone regularly or whatnot. But let's pray before we get into the word. Lord, as we share these exciting stories of what you have done, Lord, we just give you all the glory. And even now, we pray for these people that uh, have probably woken up and have probably thought about these conversations to some degree. Uh, some of them just immediately were moved towards getting involved in, in a fellowship once again. Um, and some, uh, they just they heard the gospel for the first time. And Lord, right now, we pray together as a church for these these souls that have eternities, and Lord, that you would just draw them to you, that you would just place a hunger in their life, uh, not for church, but for Jesus, and Lord, that you would bring them even here today to hear about you, Lord. Just pray for all these individuals. Lord, we pray for this Bible study today. Lord, as, uh, as preaching happens and teaching happens, Lord, that there's a, there's a plea that goes forth to the people to be reconciled to God and to be about what he's about. And Lord, uh, we pray that you would just teach us uh, in truth today and give us minds that could comprehend, take away fear from uh, past experiences that just people misused things and it just causes us to push away from you. Lord, I just pray that we would trust you today. We sang a song about your sovereignty and you leading us to where uh, we just, we kind of lose faith and we, we just want to see physical things happening instead. And Lord, we just... We pray that you would just move us beyond just the physical and to trusting you uh, in all that you're doing in the physical and the spiritual realm, God. Uh, teach us today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, part two regarding the gift of tongues and that of prophecy. Uh, prophecy, you'll remember, uh, is not on the same authority as that of the Old Testament prophets. In the New Testament, uh, it would seem that apostles have more of the office of Old Testament prophet, all right? And it was the apostles that wrote down the scriptures and, and had that type of legit authority. And so the New Testament prophet, it's a different uh, word. It was thought of different within the Greek culture. And so it's something that's a bit Different. It's not so much, although it can include predicting the future or proclaiming a word from the Lord. Um, it's uh, powerful preaching, but even more than these things, it's telling something that God has spontaneously brought to the mind. And you'll remember from last week that prophecy in the Hebrew language meant something to bubble up like a fountain or to tumble forth, something that the Lord puts on our heart and is just moving on our heart uh, to speak. Uh, and so there's a, there was a big study on all that last week. Encourage you to listen to that. Tongues, uh, something completely and totally different. Uh, in the Greek, it's the word glossa in, uh, in the language that it was written in. And it's translated uh, language, really. Not so much tongue, like that muscle that's in our mouth, but language. And so when a Greek individual would read this, uh, they wouldn't be thinking about 
tongues so much as this spiritual gift of other languages. As Grudem says, it's unfortunate that English translations have continued to use the phrase speaking in tongues, which is an expression not otherwise used in ordinary English and which gives the impression of a strange experience. All right, so, um, but what we're, we're speaking of is it, it's not just our tongue flapping around out of control, like, ah, oh, you know, um, think of like a giant cow tongue, you know, or something that's just like, we grew up in Prineville, you know what I'm talking about, all right? Uh, get beyond that, all right? It's, a, it's language, it's a gift of language, all right? Uh, a language that is unknown to the speaker, might be known to other individuals. It might be it's known through interpretation, a gift of interpretation, or it might be uh, tongues of angels that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The gift of tongues was first seen on the day of Pentecost and, and, and seen throughout the book of Acts as a gift that, that accompanies people with salvation. Uh, last week in verses 1 through 4, we're going to pick up in verse um, uh, 1 through 5, we're going to pick up in verse 6 today, uh, we saw 10 things, all right, 10 things I want to just remind you of. Um, first of all, the gift of tongues does not speak to men, but it speaks to who? God, okay? That means that tongues is a, is a prayer language. It's a worship language to God, not to men. Uh, we saw no one can understand a person speaking in tongues unless he's been given the interpretation uh, or unless he himself speaks in that language, a language that the, the speaker does not understand. Third thing, tongues speaks mysteries or secrets in the spirit. Tongues is a sign of those who will follow Jesus. Tongues uh, is something that not everyone has the gift of, nor is it the sign that a person has been baptized with the Holy Spirit. We saw of prophecy, that prophecy is spoken edification. What does edification mean? It's to build up. All right, to build up. So when someone prophesies, it's building a person up in the Lord. It's, an, it's, it's a, a, a form of encouragement. In fact, also in these first five verses, we see prophecy is spoken exhortation from the Lord or spurring on or encouragement. Prophecy is spoken comfort to men. Uh, and then, you know, forgive me because I'm going to go tongues, tongues, prophecy, 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 tongues, tongues, prophecy, tongues, you know, and that's just how Paul, he kind of, he compares and contrasts, mostly contrasts uh, these gifts. But he says of tongues that it edifies the one who's speaking it. It's self-edifying, even if they don't understand what they're saying. All right? It's important to know. The one who speaks it is edified, even though they don't know, they don't get what they're saying. Prophecy is greater or more important than tongues, unless tongues has an interpretation because in the corporate setting of the church gathered together, with prophecy, the whole church is edified, but with tongues, only the individual speaking it all right, is edified. Uh, with spiritual gifts, we're going to see it in uh, verse 12 and I believe verse 21. With spiritual gifts like tongues and prophecy, the edification of the church is the main purpose, all right? When we're together, the purpose is that the church be edified. Not that one person gets goosebumps or has some crazy, dramatic, ecstatic experience, all right? Uh, but it's that the whole church be edified. That main point will determine the importance of the gift as well as the prescription of 
the gift's use, all right? So how is tongues prescribed to be used? How is prophecy prescribed to be used? Determines on how is it edifying the people around, all right? Now, we often ignore uh, or err in the gift of tongues in a few different ways, ways that I wrote down just before the service. Number one, we err with the gift of tongues when we have disunity with one another over differing views on the gift of tongues, all right? Spiritual gifts, the gift of tongues, is what we would call an open-handed issue, all right? An open-handed issue. There's things that this church is holding tightly to. We will never waver on. We will never give up on. It's the hill we will die on. We will, we will die before we give up on these things, all right? The inspiration and inerrancy and authority of the word of God, the person and work of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of him from the dead, the Trinity, okay? Uh, a real place called heaven and a real place called hell and God's righteousness, God's judgments, God's attributes, okay? Uh, and there's more. And we encourage you to listen to our doctrine series online. Those are things we hold tight to, all right? Now, the use of spiritual gifts, we're a little more open-handed on, all right? We're a little more open-handed on uh, if, if one person in our church believes in the gift of tongues and another person says, you know what, I just I don't think it's used today in the church. We don't say, get, get out of here, all right? And I'm going to say it to them in tongues, you know, to, to just get them out, all right? Um, we don't want disunity on the issue. What this means is, is that our love for one another trumps our view and our practice of this gift. The gift of tongues is something we should never divide over, all right? Britt Merrick put it this way from a reality Santa Barbara. He said, we must realize that within the body of Christ, unity does not require homogeneity. Rather, unity recognizes diversity and chooses to obey a greater claim. The greater claim is the identity in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, who's risen from the dead, who rules and reigns and is coming again. We are united as one under that truth, and that truth is big enough to keep us united, and all the secondary issues are afforded some leeway. All right. So there's room here at Calvary Chapel for some different views on how, for instance, the gift of tongues, um, you know, is is used. Now we want all those views to be based upon Scripture. All right, and we're going to see a lot of the the guidelines in this very chapter today. Second way we err in the use of uh, tongues, for instance, is it's a misused gift and it's a disused gift. All right. Because it's something spiritual or because it's something that has been abused, we balk and back away. And as Martin Luther says regarding uh, liberties that we have as Christians, misuse does not take away proper use. All right? Just because people have misused the gifts, and, and many of us have been a part of that misuse, it doesn't mean we throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right? It means we come back to the scriptural guidelines so that something that's biblical can be used properly. Third way we err, uh, specifically with the gift of tongues today, though, though we will get into prophecy as well, is disorder. Disorder in the church. There are, there's order and there are rules in the operation of these gifts. And we're going to see these rules and the order lined out for us today in this chapter. Uh, we begin in verse 6 today with uh, an outline heading of there's the need for interpretation of tongues. 
Tongues need to be interpreted when they're spoken forth in the corporate church gathering. Let's read verse 6. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Let me read the NIV. Anyone here NIV reader? <clears throat> all right, cool. We'll read this together, all right, Pam? <laughs> I'll have you read it. No, I'm kidding. If I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how would that help you? Pretty logical, right? If I just started busting out in Hungarian right now, you guys would be like, okay. But if I bring you a revelation, all right, or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Now, what's the purpose of the use of these gifts in the public setting? The edifying of each other, right? The helping each other, all right? Verse 7, very logical process that Paul lays out here for us. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? It's amazing when you look at military uh, order and structure, it's amazing, especially back, you know, in the cavalry days and in the, the infantry days, how the troops were trained to wake up, line up, charge, advance, retreat, etc., depending upon the tune of a trumpet, all right? Nowadays, they just play ACDC, and it means something like, <laughs> okay, the tune of the trumpet, it meant something. All right, now I, I would love to play a little ditty for you guys as an example, but I just can't do that. But even in the Civil War, the drummers, meant, it meant something when the drummers would drum a certain beat, all right? And a lot of times the snipers in the Civil War would try to shoot the poor little drummer boy. He was just like, that's all I can do, man. Leave me alone, okay? There needed to be a distinction in what was piped or played for it to mean anything, Verse 9 tells us, so likewise, you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. I just have to share a humorous story. Don't throw me out of the pulpit because I've repented, okay? When I was in school of ministry, a friend of mine was teaching the spiritual gifts class, and he took this verse 9 of of the gift of tongues and words easy to understand to mean that if you're in a public setting and you speak in tongues and there's not an interpretation, hold off, hold off, hold off, okay, uh, let's try it speaking in tongues in a way that would be easy for the interpreter to understand. I'm sorry, I'm, so, I'm embarrassed I have to say this, okay? And so, you know, I just wrote that in my notes, okay, speak in tongues easy for someone else to understand, Okay. So Larry Lyon was here this week, and he spoke at the School of Ministry, a missionary friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine. I was on staff for a long time. And right before I moved to Prineville, we were at our church prayer meeting, and he prayed out in tongues at this prayer meeting. And if you know me, you know that I earnestly desire the gift of interpretation of tongues. And the Bible says, if you speak in tongues, pray that you would interpret it as well. So I'm praying, Lord, I want to have the gift of interpretation. Larry just prayed in tongues, and I want to be able to, give me, Lord, give me that. And no one spoke up, and I... And I remembered my training from school of ministry. And I said, Larry, could you repeat that tongue? And maybe a little bit, there's a hundred people here, right? And maybe a little slower. And so there's this long pause. And Larry, you know, just, 
And then he does it. And then someone else has the interpretation. And it was great, right? But afterwards, Larry comes up to me and he goes, what was that? <laughs> you know? And I'm like, well, you remember school of ministry and words easy to understand. And he's like, I've never heard that before. And I don't think that's biblical, you know? And he goes, it's hard enough to speak it the first time, let alone, hey, repeat it and enunciate this time. And do it exactly the way you did it before. All right? All right? Now, unless you utter by the tongue a word that would be easy to understand, and, and this means a language that everyone gets, all right? How will it be known what is spoken? For you'll be speaking to the air. I remember two years ago at the Boise Pastors Conference, uh, we had the pastors together and there was a time for pastors to speak in tongues. And I felt the Lord just moving on my heart and I prayed out in tongues. And Pastor Rick Brown in Idaho, uh, over in Idaho, he interpreted it. And I was so encouraged because for years I'd always felt, I didn't know the word for word when I was praying, but when I was just crying out to God in worship and prayer, I always just had this like this background thought of maybe what I was saying, all right? And I was so encouraged because uh, his interpretation lined up with where I was at. And it was where Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7 say, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And that's the interpretation that Rick Brown gave. And I was so encouraged that like, I don't know that every time I'm getting that right, but praise God. You know, he'd been moving in my heart that that was the interpretation, not translation, okay? Not translation. It's not what we're talking about, word-for-word translation, but an interpretation that conveys the general idea or thought of what is being prayed. Verse 10 tells us, There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Jesus mandat in vajok as ush as egeseg eshas elet. Amen? Nobody knew what I just said. I was speaking Hungarian, John chapter 14, verse 6. It's all I know, but it means Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All right? No one knows that when I say that, and no one's edified unless there's the interpretation of it, all right? If you've ever been to a foreign country, and once you get over there in Europe where, where the languages are not Latin-based and you really have got no clue what's going on, you really, really feel like an outsider. You're in the subway, and this like weird dialect comes, anyone been there before, another country, and you're just like, I got nothing. I have no clue what you're talking about, all right? You're lost. You have no clue what's being said. And if there's no translation, or in this case, interpretation, nobody is profited by the language being spoken except for the one who speaks it. It matters. It matters to God. It mattered to Paul. It mattered to the churches all throughout the world. We'll see that later on in the chapter. And it matters here at Calvary Chapel. Verse 12, put a star by it. I've entered in some clip art into my notes of a shiny gold star because this verse is so important. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. 
All right? And so I want to give you some more points in addition to the 10 we had last week regarding tongues or prophecy. And a big point that we see here in verse 12 is the purpose of tongues and prophecy is the edification of the church. So important regarding spiritual gifts and their use, especially in the congregational setting. I went through in my notes and I underlined every time the word church is used. In the church, at the church, okay? We're talking our corporate gathering together. And in the church, we seek to excel in these giftings for the purpose of edification, building up our brothers and our sisters. Now remember, the Corinthians had become very prideful in their gifts. Now there was prideful in in the way we normally think of pride, puffed up. But believe it or not, there's another type of pride that's the opposite end of things. It's a false humility. It's a pity party. And that also is pride. Why? Because you're focused on your stinking self. All right? When you're focused on yourself over here, I'm nothing. You know, it's like, get your eyes off yourself, man. Help your bros out. Help your sisters out. Get your eyes on Jesus. It's just as bad as I'm everything. All right? We should be seeking for the other people around us to be built up and edified. God is glorified in that. And the Corinthians had become prideful in their gifts, and they'd become false pride in their gifts. They were not using them correctly, or they were using them for selfish purposes. What a good thing is to be looking for when you or another person is exercising a spiritual gift, is the entire church being edified, Or is this person, this individual, doing it for their own experience, their own tinglings, you know? Or are they doing it for the edification of everybody around them? Ask yourself this. Has my attendance at Calvary Chapel, worshiping among the people of God, even today, proceeded to edify them? Has any word that I have spoken so far today at this church or a song that I have sung, or hospitality that I have given, or a way that I've served, a hand that I've shaken, a story that I've told, or a story that I've listened to, a prayer that I've prayed, has it made it more possible for my brother or my sister to move ahead into Monday morning? I'll tell you what, Luke, I'm going to point you out, buddy. Sorry, man. Second Sunday here, and I go and shake his hand, and you know what? Homeboy says, how are you doing? How are you doing? Thanks, man. Like, that's encouraging. That was edifying to me. Do you get that very often? How are you? And the way he said it was very genuine. I was like, well, I have to go up and preach right now or I'd tell you everything that's going on. (laughs) You know? Just something like that. How about you guys? Just in what you've been doing here today, building one another up. Everything that we do here. Verse 13 says, Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. This has been a resonating verse for me. I pray that I would interpret the gifts of tongues. And and so this is our second point for today. An individual with the gift of tongues should pray that he may interpret. Like how I just re-say the verse to you and say like, I thought of this on my own, all right? The gift of interpretation is this gift I've earnestly desired. I long to shepherd people in this and encourage them in their use of the gift of tongues, even in a corporate setting, that I might interpret their gift Interpretation is actually a gift in and of itself. 
It is a manifestation of the Spirit for the purpose of edifying the church, and it's incredibly important. Note this. An interpretation is to explain, all right? It's to explain, not to give the exact translation of the tongue. Leon Morris writes, At this point, the scriptures point out to us the vital importance of the right place of the mind in prayer and in praise. Mind is is very important when we're together in the church, praying and praising Now, Paul is not arguing for intellectualism to replace emotionalism. They both have a good place. But that we would worship in spirit and in truth. There should be truth coupled with our spiritual worship. The Samaritan woman had an emotionalism that was devoid of truth when Jesus spoke this out. And the Jews had a truth that was devoid of any emotion. And Jesus says the day will come when we worship not in Jerusalem and not in Samaria, but we will worship wherever we're at. The people of God will worship God in spirit and in truth. We must be anchored in truth and allow emotion. When worship takes place, there must be food for the mind, which is theology and biblical instruction, and there must be fuel for the spirit combined. Verse 14 says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also sing with the understanding. So what's the conclusion of all of this? Tongues is wonderful and profitable and it has its place and its order. There's a place for tongues which is a limited place. And there's a place for prophecy, which is more broad. And Paul said he would sing and pray in the Spirit when that's appropriate, and he would sing and pray with understanding when that's more appropriate. And so he says, I'll sing and I'll pray with understanding and with the Spirit. Now, when Paul says praying in the Spirit, not with the mind, he's talking about his own human spirit, that non-material aspect of his being. When we pray in the Spirit, his mind is not having to formulate words and sentences and decide what to pray for. Paul sees this kind of prayer and activity that occurs in the spiritual realm where his spirit spoke directly to God and his mind was somehow bypassed and didn't understand what he was praying. Through the gift of tongues, the Holy Spirit liberates us to praise God and to pray to God in a free and uninhibited manner. We become fluent in worship in this way. According to Ethnologue, there are 6,912 living languages in the world today. Of those 6,912 languages, I know only English, all right? That's one. I know I really impressed you guys with my one little sentence in Hungarian that I know, but that's it, all right? It was just a facade, okay? I know very little English even, all right? So I know one language, and I know a very little bit of it. And I had my education in Lakeview, which also added to the problem here. The English language consists of 800,000 words. You guys think you know all those? 
There are 500,000 technical terms in the English language. In the average person's lifetime, he or she will only get around to using about 60,000 of those 800,000 words. And worse only, the daily working vocabulary of the average person is only 7,000 words. That means I use less than 1% of the one language that I know. And I use it very poorly. This isn't a problem until I start to try to communicate to an infinite God through the limited language that I know, and I can't find the words to express myself. And those of you that dive into a prayer life and press into a prayer life and you desire to pray to this amazing infinite God more and more, you'll begin to find where, where your limited ability hits a, hits a wall and stops It's a frustrating experience trying to grope for words. There are moments when even the most eloquent person is caught off guard and is at a loss for words. This awkward articulation seems to occur most often in the emotional moments. Times when our heart is full of love and joy or grief and sympathy. Perhaps you're about to burst with these pent-up emotions, but you can't find the right words to communicate what you're feeling deep down inside. Those of you men here, do you ever feel that way towards your wife? Wanting to express to your wife your deep love for her, but she's already heard the three words, I love you. So you're kind of like, me encanta tu. You know, like, it's all, that's Spanish. Okay. Uh, I know two other languages, okay? <laughs> Me gusta. You know? It's like, your wife is like, all righty then. You know, very impressive. When we're praying to the Lord, we're awed by his presence and amazed by his love. We're blown away at his blessing towards us. And suddenly a speaker becomes speechless and I love you just doesn't cut it. One man said humans are like a funnel and the narrow neck on the funnel is our intellect. The wide base is our spirit. It's on the spiritual level that we're capable of experiencing these deep emotions, yet all of our spirit feels it's got to be channeled through this little neck, this constricted intellect and very limited vocabulary. And the narrowness chokes off the flow of feelings and bottles up the emotions. On the other hand, we have the Holy Spirit who knows every language that's ever been spoken. The Holy Spirit is even fluent in the language of angels, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 tells us. We are linguistically limited people, but the Spirit is not. He can plant the words on my mind, words I don't even know, but words that accurately and articulate expression from the depths of our heart. As words enter our mind and we step out in faith and enter them, believing them to be the Spirit's interpretation of our praise and our concern, it's a wonderful thing. We become free and fluent rather than fumbling and frustrated. The gift of tongues bypasses our mind and our vocabulary. Wayne Grudem said, We may wonder why God would give the church a gift that operates in the unseen spiritual realm that is not understood by her minds. One reason may be to keep us humble and to help prevent intellectual pride. Another reason may be to remind us that God is greater than our understanding and that he works in ways that transcends understanding. 
And isn't that a characteristic of what God does in much of the New Testament and the New Covenant age? That he does a lot in the unseen spiritual realm. Let me list a few things. Regeneration. That's a spiritual thing, not a natural outside thing. Genuine prayer. Worship in the spirit and in truth. The spiritual blessings that come at the Lord's Supper when we take communion. Spiritual warfare. That's in the spiritual realm, not in the natural. Spiritual blessings to come. Laying up treasures in heaven. Setting our minds on things above where Christ is. All of these things and many more elements of our new covenant Christian faith require just that, don't they? Faith in the unseen. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Well, speaking in tongues is simply another activity that occurs in the unseen spiritual realm. This activity, we believe, is affected because the, uh, the scripture tells us so. It's effective because the Bible says so not because we can comprehend it with our minds. Let's look at verse 16. Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen, at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So you might note point number three so far today. Tongues is blessing and thanksgiving to the Lord. We see that in these phrases. It's blessing, it's giving of thanks, and Paul says when you're doing that, you're giving thanks well. So it's blessing and thanksgiving to the Lord. Verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Is that not a profound statement showing us that tongues is a wonderful gift and not something that's forbidden or despised but to be used with thanksgiving? I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. That's an encouraging verse. Verse 19 says, Yet, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I might teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. We talked about this last week, how that is a huge contrast. Five to 10,000. Paul says it'd be better for me to speak five words of, that we know what we're saying and that build up people than 10,000 words in a tongue that nobody understands. Now people, gifts are like tools. They each have their proper place and function. Some tools are used more often and have a more broad use and application. And then those, they're those, those tools that stay in our belt, all right, or stay in our toolbox, and they're in those, the belt and they're in the box most of the time until they're needed. And when they're needed, they are needed. They are called upon in an extremely important situation and they have their specific useful purpose. D.A. Carson says, Whatever the place for profound personal experience and corporate emotional experience, the assembled church is a place for intelligibility. Our God is a thinking, speaking God, and if we will know him, we must learn to think his thoughts after him. I am not surreptitiously, sorry, I don't even know what that means, surreptitiously, invalidating what Paul refused to invalidate. I am merely trying to reflect his conviction that edification in the church depends utterly on intelligibility, understanding, and coherence. 
It is important in the corporate setting that we understand what's happening. We understand what's being spoken because we'll be built up. Verse 20, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, not in understanding, but in understanding be mature. I like how J.B. Phillips says this. My brothers, don't be like excitable children, but use your intelligence. I like how he calls them brothers here. These are people that have been misusing the gift of tongues. And oftentimes in the church today, when someone is misusing a spiritual gift, we are so quick to be like, they're the devil, you know? They need to have the gospel preached to them so they can, you know, repent and come to Christ and go to heaven and all that. But, but that's not how Paul views these individuals. He's not questioning their salvation. He's encouraging them as brothers. These are all good things to investigate, to understand and grow in maturity. And that's why in chapter 12, verse 1, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant and unaware concerning spiritual gifts. There are many factors about spiritual gifts that can cause us to be unloving. And he says, hey, concerning malice or hatred, be babies, okay? You don't need to be all bold and brave in the way you hate each other, all right? Don't, don't worry about that. But rather, have a knowledge, have an understanding. Paul tells the Romans that he wants them to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. The Lord wants us to grow in our understanding of these things. And in Hebrews chapter 5, Paul rebukes the Hebrew people and he tells them, you know what, by now you ought to be teachers, teaching other people and discipling. I mean, you've been a Christian long enough that you don't need me sitting here giving you the ABCs of Christianity. You should be out there teaching people the deep things of God. Now, as we continue on in our text today, we come to the second big point of the chapter, or of our section today anyways, which is the effect of tongues and prophecy, what they, how they affect an unbeliever or a believer as they hear it. You'll see what I mean as we move on. Verse 21. In the law is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. This is a quote from Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12. And it's at a time when the Assyrian army was going to come and capture an idolatrous pagan Israel. They'd rejected the Lord and his law, and the Lord was going to chasten them through the Assyrian army, and they were going to come upon Israel as agents of God's judgment. God, whenever God speaks to people in other languages they can't understand, it's evidence of God's divine judgment on them. And here Paul uses the word sign not in a good way. All right, It can mean God's attitude oftentimes, either good or bad, but here it's not in a good way. Listen to what Gordon Fee says. Because tongues are unintelligible, unbelievers receive no revelation from God as a result of speaking in tongues. They cannot, therefore, thereby be brought to faith. Thus, by their response of seeing the work of the Spirit as madness, we see that in verse 23, they will say that you are out of your mind speaking in tongues, and they are destined for divine judgment. And so tongues are a sign of God's judgment upon an unbeliever. As they hear the gift of tongues, they say, you're crazy, you're straight crazy. They realize they are lost sinners destined for judgment. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't speak in tongues. After all, Jesus spoke in parables, even though people wouldn't understand what he was saying. But it means, in verse 22, tongues are for a sign. 
not for those who believe, but for unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Let me give you point five today. Tongues can be a sign to unbelievers, all right? A sign of judgment. However, we also see in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, there were a bunch of unbelievers around that heard tongues being spoken, each in their own language, and they heard the marvelous works of God being spoken, and it was an awesome opportunity for Peter to go and to preach the gospel. It seems that at times speaking in tongues may involve speech that are actual human languages, sometimes even languages that are understood by some of those who hear, like on the day of Pentecost. But other times, and it seems more ordinarily, the speech would be a foreign tongue that no one understands, a tongue of angels. Interesting story. Chuck Smith, the guy who started Calvary Chapel down in Orange County, and he passed away this last, I think it was uh, September, October. He writes a story in his book, Living Water, about how his wife, Kay, had just the Lord, you know, bubbling out of her. She spoke out in a gift of uh, tongues, praying out to the Lord. And a woman came up to her after the, the service and said, have you spent much time in France? And, and Kay says, no, well, why? She says, well, where have you learned aristocratic French? Aristocratic French is something that's not spoken anymore, in France even. It's something that you know, professors teach or something like that. You have to have a special education. And Kay didn't know French at all. And so she said, oui, oui, you know, or something like that. <laughs> but it was a sign to this woman. The Lord can use that. John Corson tells a testimony of a men's group of his that happened to meet in a hotel lounge. And as they were closing out the night in worship and praise, a bartender was back behind the counter just scrubbing and polishing glasses. And a man spoke out in tongues and the bartender began weeping. The Lord had gotten a hold of him and, and woken him up. Because this man from the church had spoken out in the bartender's native tongue. The man had no clue what he was saying. And so while this text from Isaiah seems to be saying that the sign that it's giving to a non-believer is usually that of judgment, there have been some cases where people have been brought to their knees in repentance because of a, of a miracle that the Lord had worked in getting a hold of them. Prophecy, on the other hand, is a sign for believers it gets confusing here because in verse 23 and 24, it seems to be flipping who the gifts are for. Let's look at it. Verse 23. Let's see if I can make it the back of your head pop out. <clears throat> Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Right? In the corporate gathering, in the church. There must be order. Not everyone can just speak out in tongues at the same time. The uninformed or the layman or the unbeliever would say, you guys are straight crazy. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 13, people that heard it mocked some of them. And they said, they're just full of new wine. These people are just drunk. This is insane. I remember my first time at a hyper-Pentecostal church. There was radical disorder, but my mom had to preface it so that I wouldn't get freaked out and go running out by saying, oh, sweetie, it's just the Holy Spirit. Well, maybe the Holy Spirit, but there's disorder going on in the church. And God would have that corrected as Paul corrected the disorder going on in the Corinthian church. Let's look, verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he's convicted by all. 
And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. When someone comes in and a man prophesies, people understand the words that are coming out of his mouth. They are rebuked. They are examined by the Holy Spirit. And they come to repentance knowing that God is among. Every church must long for that response. God is truly among you rather than you are all out of your mind. We long for the response that God is among you. We're going to have the worship team come on up. Unfortunately, we're not going to make it through the chapter today. I thought we were. As the worship team comes up, we're just going to push pause on our study and give God glory. Why? Why would we give God glory? Man, because he has got it all figured out, doesn't he? He knows. God in his sovereignty has said, you know what? I'm going to redeem you guys out of your sin and out of your fallen condition. I'm going to redeem all that's been destruction, all this wake of destruction that's come behind your life. And not only am I going to redeem you, I want to restore that walking in the garden type relationship that you had like Adam and Eve at the beginning. I want to have an intimate relationship with you, God says. You know, and in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says that the evangelists that go out and preach the gospel, they are like um, national, uh, help me out here, ambassadors, okay? Ambassadors that would go to the enemy of another king and say, be reconciled to this king. And that's what God preaches here at Calvary Chapel from the scriptures. He says, be reconciled to your God. Come back to walking with God in the cool of the day. He is a God who wants to speak to you. He's a God of relationship. He's a God of communion. And he's made ways available where he's revealed himself to us. He's revealed himself in the written word, the ultimate authority in our life. And he reveals himself to us by prophecies that are just, they well up in somebody's heart and they feel they're supposed to speak a word to you. And they just, man, I just feel that the Lord wants you to know this today. I'm going to read this verse to you, or I'm going to pray this prayer over you. Something like that. God wants to get a hold of us in those ways. And God also, in his sovereignty, he knows why, has created a spiritual gift for some people where they will pray out to God in a language that they don't understand, but it's a language that bypasses their mind, shoots straight out of their spirit up to the Lord in worship and praise and prayer. And I'm not going to be the one to say, Lord, that was the stupidest thing you ever did. I mean, all the rest of the stuff is pretty good in the Bible, but that one, dumb, 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 okay? No, Lord. Lord, you've created a gift. And Paul said, I wish that you all spoke with tongues. And Paul says, I thank God I pray in tongues more than you all. And Paul says at the end of this chapter, don't forbid speaking in tongues. And so for you today, as we come to worship, and we come to communion, I want you to come and take the communion elements and I want you to thank God for his indescribable gift of his son, Jesus Christ. The best gift of all, Jesus. Thank God for his forgiveness that was made available through his body being crushed on the cross and through his blood being shed. And when you take communion today, why don't you thank God as well? Not only for his reconciliation, how he's brought you near once again by the blood, but thank the Lord also for the gifts that he's given. And we want during this series to just give the Lord the opportunity to pour out his gifts upon us today. And for some, maybe the Lord's just been stirring in you. Man, I'm, I'm there. I think 
my prayer language and my time of prayer, I just feel like I'm so limited by this, you know, the, the five words I know in English, you know, and I want to be able to pray even more to the Lord. And you would ask for this gift. Some of you aren't there like, not, not me, not, not, not tongues, that's not me. It's okay. The Bible says that the Lord distributes the gifts as he wills, and you're to earnestly desire the best gift, the gift that he has for you. We want to do that. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.